Hello, my name is Nicholas McInerney. I'm a playwright and lecturer. Ten years ago, I came out. I had been married for nearly 20 years and had two daughters. It was both terrifying and exhilarating. I was about to set out on a journey from one world to another, where I was to reinvent myself or maybe to find out finally who I really was. I decided for the first time in my life to keep a diary. I wrote furiously, without censoring myself, straight from the heart. Ten years on, I want to invite you to come on that journey with me again. Each of these podcasts will include diary entries and a discussion all about our shared experiences coming out as gay and bisexual men, dads, husbands and partners. Of course, we understand that reliving the past can inevitably bring up conflicting feelings of distress and pain for children and former partners. This is clearly not our intention. We also understand that personal memories are often disputed. We take responsibility for any factual inaccuracies. Names have also been changed throughout. Despite all this, we hope and believe that Rainbow Dads makes an important contribution to a healing process of understanding and self-acceptance. And by sharing our lives, we hope to include yours. Thank you. I realise that whatever agreement we come to about the future and our relationship, it will be me forcing the pace, arguing for the new dispensation, negotiating the arrangements, in short, making demands of her, and expecting her to succeed in them. Is that fair? Can I do that in a spirit of compassion? Can Kay engage in a spirit of openness? Are we just kidding ourselves here? Welcome back, everybody, to the second podcast with my uh, lovely selection of gay dads, David, Alex, Arnett and Deep, uh, and I'm Nicholas. And this time we're going to talk, the, the subject is marriage blues, dot, 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 or not. I think it would be nice to, uh, good, to have an opportunity to talk about our relationships and our marriage and how that works. So I'm going to start with Alex. Tell us a little bit about how you met. Just tell us how you met. That'd be nice. How do you met your your wife? I met this beautiful lady, girl, as she was then, uh, through church. And she had come to stay in my house while I wasn't there. Uh, Very trustingly let somebody stay for a week to look for a house. And... Uh, she was very beautiful. I met her and we clicked and we got on well and we started dating probably two months then I proposed to her. Okay, what was the first thing you noticed about her? Her hair. Her hair. Yes. Okay, yes. grand. Okay, David, how about you? So I Just met... describe how you met her. And... Well, we worked together in a restaurant um, and we became very good friends. We hang out together. Uh, we made each other laugh. 
um, and we just tend we just spent more and more time together, um, and the relationship sort of built on from there. We we uh, moved up to London. We found somewhere to live. We got jobs in London. Uh, then we got married, and then yeah. uh, seven years later we had our first child. So it was a slow process. It wasn't sort of a sudden decision one day to find a girl to get married. Because I think a lot of people think that gay men who marry are marrying to hide their sexuality. That's, that's a good to, point. That's a good but, point. But I, it's, not, it's not that simplistic. Okay. How old were you when you met? I was uh, 26. Okay. And my wife is nine years younger than me, so she was... How old does that make it? Oh, dear. <laughs> 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 just legal. Just legal. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, she was legal. Okay. Um, yes. yes. So, there, the, so there was an age gap. Um, but, you know, we clicked and it worked. Fantastic. Um, and what was the first thing you noticed about her? Oh, uh, just that we really got on. Yeah. We were really good friends and we laughed and, we, you know, we just spent a lot of time together and never had any arguments. So, Fantastic. you know, we were just the best of friends, really. Right, Arnett, how about you? For me, I've had two significant relationships with women. Um, the first I was married to, the second we, we lived together for 13 years, and with both, in both relationships I have two children, so four children in all. Um, so my first uh, relationship, that I got married, I was young, I was 20, I was at university, and I met this woman on the dance floor who had such amazing energy on the dance floor. And that was what really attracted me. I used to love dancing in those days. And uh, she met me on the dance in floor. In those days? In you, those days. You mean you don't dance now? Well, I try to, but the body gets older. Mm. <laughs> um, but in those days, there was a freedom for me on the dance floor. Yeah. And she met me in that energy space. And, uh, and it was a very whirlwind um, relationship. And within months, we were married. And how old were you? 20. 20. We, we, we got married. Her, her birthday um, was in November. And we decided that we would get married before... Her birthday when we were still both 20. Right, so that was a conscious decision mm. to get, okay. Okay, and did, when you got married, did you, were you thinking about having kids soon, early? How was that? Was that in your mind or was it just? Children wasn't in our okay. mind yeah. at that point in time. Um, it was just this somewhat anarchistic sense of, hey, let's get married. Mm. Um, and I think for both of us, it was something about needing to create a family because both of us had come from quite difficult childhood right. families. Right. Um, and I think on reflection, that was the meeting space yes. for us. Yes. Okay, good. Thank you. Deep, how about yourself? So um, as, was, as was normal within the Sikh community at the time, um, I was introduced to... Uh, my ex-wife, uh, we got on, we met uh, two or three times, 
um, and decided that we were right for each other and compatible, um, and then decided that we were going to get married. Did your uh, just like wind back a little bit because this is this is fascinating. I mean, we we arranged marriages is appears in dramas in in the novels endlessly, but actually, my experience of actually meeting somebody who's gone through that is still relatively unusual. I have a very good friend who's Sikh who married. She married a Catholic. Uh, boy, and it was um, uh, he wore a turban for for the wedding, and I went to a Sikh wedding, which was absolutely amazing. But just to run it back, so would your parents have a list of of attributes that they were looking for? How does that how does it work? No, so I think the the way it worked really is um, they look for people who will be from the same caste um, or the same background, the, what the family's like, um, um, and then they sort of say. They decide between themselves that they want to introduce the kids, and then we decide whether we are compatible or not. And do they go through a number of options, or is this something that it is? Um, so, I mean... so, so, if you go back um, historically, mm-hmm. um, they would have looked at things like wealth and, yes, and yeah. um, um, you know, how distinguished the family might it's be. It's a dynastic arrangement. Yes, it's um, a meeting of families. Obviously, in in the UK, um, that's beca- became slightly different at the time because although they would still want to know uh, what sort of uh, backgrounds we come from from the from India, what sort of, how much land we have out, out there. Even though my my family had left many many. Uh, generations before, I didn't even have a clue. So, so, so they're still thinking about your status back yes. in India. Yes. How fascinating! Uh, you may, may not be able to answer this. Do you have an idea of what percentage of marriages within the Sikh community are still arranged? You know, how common was your experience? So, is it has there been pressure so, from younger younger people not to, to to make their own choice? So, essentially, I think when I around the time I was getting married, I'd say. About seventy-five percent were probably arranged. Um, I would say very few are arranged anymore. Right, and when, excuse me, what did, what year did you get married? Uh, so this would have been back in the late nineties, nineteen ninety-nine. And so there has been a move away from yes. that idea. Yes. Um, was there a sense, Alex, when you got married, you met somebody in the church that you were that, that this was correct? This was the way in which the natural order worked. That you would meet somebody in the church, and there you would get married to her. Yes, and I think um, subconsciously there was a massive relief, like uh, a lot of churches, like, oh, those two, they've got together, they like each other, they get on. Oh, wonderful, they're getting married, they'll have lots of good Christian babies and we'll survive another generation. <laughs> and, and I'm being purposely a little bit snarky, but... No, be as snarky as you know, darling. It's genuinely in there, because yeah. I think you, you, you internalise these yes. expectations that we were talking about in another series, yes. another show... But the expectation was strong there. And, of course, the sort of very strong fundamentalist sort of bar on any sexual activity before, before marriage, marriage meant yes. that you couldn't... You, that Test if, drive. If you felt... If you were a sexual being, you couldn't do anything about it unless you got married. Mm-hmm. And I think that was part of the problem as well because when you're in your 20s, you know, almost anything that moves is, exactly. is fair game. And, of course, if you're trying to be a moral person in, in a moral framework even if that moral framework has got a few faults with it, you still try and fit in with that. But then you also have that that huge carrot of sexual sex dangled over the pos- this yes, marriage as well. Yeah, just Here's going with the huge carrot there. It's a huge carrot. Can I ask Steve, yeah. did you have any... I'm, ass- I'm assuming that you did not have any sexual relations with your wife before you got married, but that's, I may be entirely wrong. That's absolutely right. Okay. 
I met my wife at university. She actually was on the year above and she kind of pursued me uh, and she was doing psychology. And I think, I think one of the things that most attracted me to her to begin with, there was a physical attraction. She was quite boyish in the, in, in the way that she looked. <laughs> what a surprise. Um, uh, was that uh, she was manifestly a good person. Uh, there was something about her that was so genuine and sincere and good. And I think perhaps for myself, because I was struggling a bit, it felt like a light to move towards. Mm -hmm. I don't know if anybody else recognises anything. Yeah, happening. yeah. I mean, my wife was vivacious and uh, spirited and funny and and having that relationship that we had and being drawn to that relationship gave me uh, an anchor, if you like, uh, because as I said before, for a long time I've just felt lost um, and not having any sort of relationship that I could rely on. Um, so I, I felt drawn to her for that, yeah. Because she grounded you. Yeah, yeah. And she seemed, although she was quite considerably younger, she was very mature and very... Um, you know, we can do this, we can go, because we moved up to London and, uh, and got somewhere to live and, you know, lived in a house share and it was all really exciting. Yes. And, and, but I didn't have the courage to maybe do those things myself on my own. So. And there is all that excitement of being in a couple and doing and a, those in things. In a new relationship, yeah. 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 But anybody else? I mean, I feel very strongly that, as I said with my wife, there was this, this sense of, and I met her family and they were quite bohemian. Her father was a painter, and of course that appealed to me. She came from a large family, four children, all of that, you know. They lived in a beautiful farmhouse down in um, in Devon, which had been mentioned in the Doomsday Book, you know. Mm. This was, it, this this felt like a, a you, you know, felt like you were buying into something that was really had, 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 had strong grounding. How about for anybody else? Do they feel that from their partner, a sense that somehow they could save them? Is that a word that we, one would use? I mean, I think in terms of my own internal conflict, what, that, um, that your partner saved you? Somehow that my partner could save me oh, yeah. and that I could make a choice to be with her that would obliterate all the other worries I was having about other choices that I feared I might have I'd, to make. Yeah, I agree with that. But as I said earlier, I don't... What people tend to focus on is that gay men who marry are marrying to hide their sexuality yeah. it's not it's not as simplistic as that and I, and I guess if you have a conversation with heterosexual men who marry they also marry for all sorts of reasons yes. and their marriages end for all sorts of reasons so I mean, I mean I frequently have conversations with other gay men who who really are really envious of the fact that I have children because obviously I talk about my children all the time mm. you know and um, I don't regret that at all. I've got two amazing children. Mm. One, two of the best, it is the most amazing thing that one can do. Mm. It's the biggest adventure. You know, being at the birth of your child mm. is extraordinary. Um, so, and I real sense that in some conversations I have with some gay men as a real emptiness in their lives. Mm. And I do think, and we can come on to this later, it gives us a slightly different attitude yeah. when approaching relationships. But also I think a lot of gay men and a lot of the gay community will say, you're not as gay as me then, because you you got married and you've got kids. Oh, have you had that? I've guys? had that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I have. I'm you're, more gay than you. Because, oh, it's interesting. Yeah. I've had. Oh my goodness, you're a real daddy then. 
<laughs> I think I've had both. I, yeah, I've yeah, had yeah. both. Yeah. You're um, a real daddy, come here. <laughs> it's it's certainly seen by many as being a real attribute. A real you turn must, on. Yeah. God, you must be so virile because yep. you've got four children. <laughs> it taps into taps in, no, exactly. It taps into mm. the ideas about masculinity. On yeah. guitar, there used <clears throat> to be a married men section for married men yeah. who wanted hookups. And believe you me, it was very popular. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So I think for me, it's interesting. It's a double edged. Mm. Yeah. I'll go back to your, your earlier question, Nicholas, about the, you know, my, if I think about my, my second partner, mm -hmm. um, there was certainly something there that I saw in her. She was very gentle and very caring. Um, we'd known each other for a while through work. Um, and at the point at which I was going through a really difficult divorce, uh, she stepped into my life in a very caring way and was very supportive and... It was, you know, that bit that kept pulling me back into deeper relationship with her. Um, but interestingly, it was at the time when, with the advent of the internet at about that point, which hadn't been a feature much in my life before that, um, I was starting to explore the gay mm -hmm. world. Mm -hmm. And I found a Yahoo gay chat room and started to chat on that. And so clearly there was, even though in, I hadn't actually admitted to myself, and if anybody asked me, I would never have said that I was mm. gay, I was becoming more, more curious yeah. at mm. that point. And I, I suppose if anybody were to ask me, I might have said, well, maybe I'm bisexual. Mm -hmm. Yes, mm -hmm. yes. And at the point at which my, my new partner became pregnant, um, I had to make a choice. Mm. And I made the choice to be with her because I thought, okay, you know, I must just be bisexual. And this thing with mm -hmm. men... Mm -hmm. I can manage without that. Yeah. Mm. I, absolutely. Everything you say really strikes home. Mm. My uh, uh, ex-wife had been out with some other guys who had also had relationships with men. So I felt that she understood something of the kind of notion of bisexuality. And I wrote to her before we got married saying, I think I'm, I had that moment. I don't know whether you guys had just before a moment before we got married, where you think, I can't possibly go through with this. What am I fooling myself? And I wrote to her and I said I thought I was bisexual. Um, and I always remember sitting down with the priest who married us and he actually asked me directly in front of her, have you, have you had sexual relationships with other guys? And I, it was very tearful. I got very emotional. I kind of confe confessed. I, I talked about these relationships. The priest himself was gay, so that made it easier. But he was understanding. You know, mm. he's a lovely guy and I'm still good friends with him. And he is a partner and it's, you know... And he's much more open about his life than he was then. Um, but that was a big moment. And again, the sense that I had made a choice and that, that I could stick to that choice and everything else was a distraction. Mm -hmm. Can you guys just tell me a little bit about the wedding? Because we all love to hear about a wedding. How was the wedding for you? How was your wedding? Deep. I've been to a Sikh wedding. They're amazing. 
How so, was your wedding? So it was, it was good. Uh, I had a traditional Sikh wedding, so uh, in the region of about 700 guests. 700 guests. Many of whom um, neither my ex-wife or I knew, uh, so uh, that, that becomes quite comical afterwards when you think about, you know, mm-hmm. it was that person, <laughs> it was that person. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> just wandered in. Um, but yeah, so it was, it was a good traditional Sikh wedding. It goes on for days and days and days, so sure absolutely does. exhausted. You have a, a canopy, and, and what's the holy book that's walked around the couple? So we call it our holy scriptures because mm-hmm. it's our living guru, so we don't call it a book. It's, um, oh, I'm sorry, our, yes. <laughs> so it's our, they are our holy scriptures. Uh, yeah, so, so, so the wedding um, ceremony was devised uh, in the early 1920s because the British insisted that we had a, a formal way of doing a ceremony for our wedding. Um, so, so that's when it was really devised. Um, so, so yeah, so we walk four times around our holy scriptures, um, four different prayers are read, and then um, then we're married at that sort of point. And, and at some point money is attached to the bridal gown, isn't that correct? Um, or was no. that in some traditions? Oh, right. No. Okay. Not in my wedding. Not your wedding. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we were given, so we were given uh, money at the end of the ceremony, okay. after the fourth round. Yeah. Then we get given loads of money, by, but it's not attached. Right. I remember with Sukhvinda, she had this money sort of, um, stapled or, or with little pins attached to her okay. brain. Okay. Alex, how was your wedding? Uh, we were young and um, broke, <laughs> so it was on the cheap. Um, I remember we got a two-week honeymoon for 200 quid. Where did oh, you go? Half bored. Communist Yugoslavia. <laughs> <laughs> Still communist, though. Um, up the party. Yeah, um, yeah I, think the, I think the sad thing was that our families never met except at a wedding. And never met again, and I think, I think it was the coming together of two people who needed someone else, but didn't necessarily understand why they needed someone. Yeah. And that's the nicest thing I can say about both of us is that we weren't bad for each other, but we weren't good enough. And the wedding was. And how old? Can you just remind me? Twenty-three. So I, felt, I think I felt a lot younger than I really was, and. The, the wedding was a lovely affair, but it was, you know, it's just the start of it all. We also moved house the same weekend, and I started a job the week before. Right. So it was really quite, packed it quite in, an intense it? two-month period. Yeah, and I think, you know, you, you're so taken up with starting all this adventure and this life, new jobs, buying a house, you know, moving in, getting married, um, that you, you don't really have much time for thinking about stuff. Yeah. So I did have that moment of doubt just before the you wedding, but too. I don't think I can really identify what it was about. It was just probably my subconscious saying, y- you really don't know what you're doing. Yes. Um, well, sometimes you dismiss it as thinking, mm, well, nerves, of everybody has nerves, that. Yeah. You know, stage fright, absolutely. Yeah. But the more people I've met who've said the same thing, they've all ended up realising that it was a genuine part of their psyche yeah. was trying to tell them something and this isn't like a hollywood film where you can do that whole graduate thing yeah. run down the aisle throw mm. the bouquet in the yeah. air and disappear yeah. on a bus yeah. what about you david how was your wedding um similar it was uh, a small wedding um we went to yugoslavia for our honeymoon <laughs> probably enough. the same place, <laughs> <laughs> the same place. Uh, it was in 1990 and it was just before oh. yugoslavia split <laughs> so so it was it was quite tense there um the wedding was lovely, um, yeah, but I had my doubts before the wedding, but I compartmentalised it. I thought, okay, that side of things is not going to affect my marriage, and I never, it never came into the marriage, it never did affect the marriage, 
Um, my wife knew that I'd had uh, sexual relations with men before we got married. So there was an underlying understanding, although it was never actually discussed. We didn't sit down and have a discussion about it. But um, so we both felt, well, I felt that we both knew what we were going into. And since, um, you know, I, I've, as I said, I thought I could control it, if you like, and it yeah. would not affect the marriage. But of course, you know, the years roll by and it does yeah. it does encroach. And then the Internet comes along and in exactly the same story That's as on it. That's very interesting. Yeah. Exactly the same. Suddenly there was this other world that was opening up to me. And Internet's um, like a rocket put under all of this, really, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and, you know, very good. But also very destructive. Yes. We'll talk about that. Talk, sorry, sorry. We'll yeah. talk about that in more detail in the moment. Okay. I just want to hear about Arnett's wedding. Mm. So, so my my wedding, the one wedding, wedding yes. that I had, um, it was yeah, we were students, no money, so it was a very <laughs> DIY affair. Yugoslavia, obviously. No, not even. <laughs> we, we, we we went and stayed with some friends down in Cornwall because oh. that was that was the best we could afford to do. Um, but uh, yeah, it was it was just a very very small affair, um, you know, registry office, and uh, it was just really about making that moment. But yeah, like everybody else, you know, there were doubts before, nothing at all to do with question marks about whether I was gay, but just doubts about oh, what am I signing up to here? And I I'd had ideas that when I finished uni that I would want to just go off traveling around the world mm. for a year or two years a little bit of me wanted to just be running away and that traveling was about running so don't, away don't we think then that everyone who goes into a marriage has doubts i do think yeah. that i you think know, there's they, a sense in which like options are closing yeah. down yeah. is this that, really what i want for the rest of my life yeah. yes yeah. i love this person but you know it's a big commitment yeah. it's and it's very interesting i mean you don't you go into a marriage and you know, we'll talk about. I want to talk about our sex lives with our wives in a moment. But there is, I do feel there's. And when I went into the marriage, I thought I'm, I can be with this person, and we can be monogamous, and we can make this mm. work for the mm. rest of my life. And there was a genuine, genuine belief. Mm. And I loved her, and I loved the family, and I, I love what we created together. I mm. love calling her my wife. I loved even more being called husband. husband. Yeah. And I still love that. Yeah. I'm married again to a guy, and I love calling him my husband. Love it. And, um, you know, I get weepy when I see old people holding hands walking down the street. I don't know about you guys, but <laughs> anybody who's sustained that and, I hold, you know, people in their 80s, I'm like, I go to pieces because it's so lovely. So all of that. And I suppose I did think that if you're going to have children, it being together, the institution marriage, for better or for worse, would help make it us manage the difficulties better. But I do think that everybody feels that way. Mm. But like, like Alex was saying, I think for me that, that relationship, it was a meeting of two people who needed somebody special in their life. And I think in that moment, uh, it didn't turn out to be the lifelong commitment, but in that moment, we provided that for each other. Yeah. We provided yeah. you know, uh, somebody special. Absolutely. Uh, and it was the two of us together. Yeah. And it, sometimes it felt against the world. Against it does world. feel like that. It does, it does yeah. feel like that. Mm. Yeah. I agree. So my perspective yeah. is slightly different because in a Sikh perspective, it's very much the coming, two families to, against to coming the world. together of two families rather than the, yeah. the couple that go married. Yeah. So, so when you talk about the two of you, it feels like it was the two of us families rather mm. than yeah. the, just yeah. the two of us coming together. So it's a very different perspective. And interestingly as well, I never had the doubts either because from my perspective, it was something that I had to do. 
because I've talked about my mm. my, yes. my life was mapped out for me and I had to conform and I had to, to do all these things. And it was an, another thing I had to tick off my list. And, and this was with somebody who I thought was very special. We had a really good relationship with and I thought, you know, we, we could be very happy together. So okay. it was with genuine desire for happiness and mm -hmm. for, That's true a, of everybody for togetherness. Here. I feel that everybody here went in with best intentions, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. In tantra, they talk about the thing that really matters is intention, mm -hmm. you know. I want to talk about sex. Really interesting. We have two people here who got married not having had sex with their partners. I, you know, I was terribly proud at um, university because people could complain because we were so noisy. You know, that they, oh, really, actually, you know, we're not actually having that noisy sex, but of course we were, and I wanted to dial it up and make it a bit noisier, you know. So my wife moved in with me, and we lived together for five years before we got married at 28, and we had children fairly quickly afterwards. I feel I was very lucky. I did actually feel I had a good sexual relationship with my wife. Um, but I'd love to hear your experiences. How was it for you? Alex. That was wonderful. No, um, I, I, sadly, it wasn't wonderful. Yeah. And I think, you know, if, if I had had your experience of having a relationship that could evolve and had some sexual relationships before I got married, I would have realised that perhaps stuff needed to be worked out. And that, that might have also helped me because... Um, my after I came out, my counsellor said to me, "Of course you were gay, because you never really bothered about trying to have enough sex when you were married to a woman." So her sort of justification was, "You, you know, if you had been straight, you'd have got that sorted out." Because so it puts we had all the responsibility onto you. No, I didn't feel it was bad. It's like it was more almost an affirmation of why I ended okay. up in this situation, and the situation was basically a sexless marriage. And, and remained sexless through 20-plus years. And although we had two kids, that was the only time we ever had sex, was to have two kids in four years apart. Um, and I can honestly say, looking back now, I realised it really did something to me internally that was not... It was, it was a very difficult time, and I think I went a little bit crazy with it in my head, but, of course, I kept it all internal because it was not something you talk about in Britain. It's not something you talk about when you're married. It's not something you talk about when you're young. It's not something you talk about in church. We're fucked because we never talk about it. Because we're not fucked. Yeah, mm. whether we are or not. And I've since learned that actually it's much more common than I knew then. And although I turned to people for help, they were equally out of their depth to help. Um, and Can I ask, what did you yeah. do for sex? Uh, masturbation, basically, yeah. solo sex, mm. uh, which I now sort of feel I can affirm because we now have a sex-positive uh, literature narrative that we can turn to to explain that it's okay to have sex on your own. It's fascinating it's, because it's, I, if I went during marriage, yeah. I felt I was, I was, I was, that, I was being, I wasn't being yeah. a good husband. But that's part. I felt that, that's, I, that, that yeah. but, and you're absolutely right. You're that's part so of the right. Christian culture as well yeah. because that's also said that you're depriving yeah, your wife. Yeah, and and you know. As soon as the internet came along, pornography was like both a, I was going to say a godsend. That's really... <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That has That's not the word. <laughs> pornography, pornography was a godsend. Pornography was a godsend. <laughs> Quite unquote. Um, but, you know, I go through cycles of extreme guilt and extreme pain and crying. And, you know, even after having a particularly good wank, crying. Because wow. I was enjoying some sexual pleasure that I never got. So... I, I'm really proud of the fact I was never unfaithful. 
but I'm also aware of the fact maybe I should have been for my own good. <laughs> Brilliant. Which is a really complex thing to untangle wow. ethically. Let's, let's try and untangle that. You can't untangle it ethically. It's just where you yeah. are, isn't it? You're just, yeah. you know. And so that coloured it, really. And I think sex isn't everything in a relationship. It doesn't have to be. There are people who physically have reasons why they can't have sex or, you know, can't can't have sex with the, or can't have the sex they think they should have okay. with their partner. That doesn't make it wrong. It's just it wasn't working for me. Fantastic. Thank you, Alex. Arnett. Uh, for me, I had very limited sexual experiences before I met my, my first wife. Um, we you know, stepped into relationship together and we had really good sex, mm -hmm. I will say that. And, and we did um, yeah, on and off through the relationships. There, there were periods when we would have long, long periods, months and months, maybe a year or more, without sex and yes. and I can remember this coming up in conversation with one of her relatives once um, somehow because she was very uh, provocative in how she would talk sometimes and we were with some of her relatives and she brought up oh well we don't and this this guy who was a very macho-y guy was questioning me about how I deal with this um, why do you allow this sort of thing? Uh, and I can remember thinking then actually I wasn't that bothered about it. It sort of somehow didn't bother me. I don't know why, but it wasn't bothering me. Um, so yeah, it was a curious, a curious um, time really. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I, I can't say that I didn't enjoy having sex with women. Uh, with with either of my two partners that I've had, I, I think I've had some very good sex. Were you good moments. at pleasuring them? You see, I think for me, sex has always been about giving pleasure. Mm -hmm. That's my turn on, you know, huge turn on. And actually, uh, absolutely, like a, with women, if I can, if I, because I, I do feel it kind of, you know, with my wife, I go to know her body and how to make her really get excited. Yeah. And I found that enormously flattering. Maybe it's a, just yeah. a me, male ego thing as well. Well, I get off on that. But, but I, just yeah, giving yeah. the pleasure the was the I'm thing. with, you know, whoever yeah. you're with, you want to make that time special for yeah. them. Yeah. And you get something from yeah. it. But it's good that you get that back as well. Yes. You know, yeah. that there is an important... So it's a kind of circularity yeah. of that yeah. whole thing. So... Yeah, I'm, I'm, not I'm, not I'm not sure that I'm the right person to answer that question. But they're not here no. to answer the question. But I, I would like to think that sex was much more than me just going bang, 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 yes. and that's it. For sure. And well, yeah, for me... Foreplay and touching yes. is always yeah. important. David. And there's a difference, isn't there, between sex and making love. Yeah. Yes. And certainly when my wife and I were together, certainly at the beginning, we had a good sex life and we were making love. Um, it fizzled out a bit, as probably it does in mm -hmm. most relationships, um, but we did have sex regularly. Um, and, uh, you know, we got two great kids from that yeah. uh, and we didn't rush into having children that wasn't the thing that you know was yeah. part of the, uh, getting married necessarily um, but yeah I mean we made love definitely and uh, it wasn't just about sex yeah. sex with men probably that I did have sex with men during the marriage uh, that was just sex okay yeah. let's come on to that in a moment okay, okay I just want to hear Deep's take on this uh, so from my perspective, again, um, I didn't have anything to compare it to. 
So it was a good sexual relationship. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, we, uh, you know, we enjoyed it. We um, enjoyed each other. Um, and, um, you know, uh, although having said that in hindsight now, having had sex with a man, I much preferred that. And it feels like it's something completely mm. different. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so that she's the only woman I've ever slept with. So I have wow. a lot of comparison to make. It's interesting. When I got married i didn't wasn't hugely sexually experienced with women and i really grew to enjoy um having sex with my my wife again like you guys there were periods of it lull went in and mm. out and according to what other stresses you know bringing mm. up kids is stressful mm. um my wife got quite towards the end of our marriage when i was exploring i was talking about wanting to explore my wife got much more willing to be much more adventurous in the things that we did we tried anal sex for example which I'd never tried with a woman. Um, uh, and uh, I found that very exciting. Um, maybe that just kind of propelled my desire to do it with a guy, I don't know. But certainly she was, and we, we went into the years training in Tantra, so that whole thing opened up options in our marriage. You know, we'd, I'd been monogamous and we, we explored a few little few things together and we, we played a little bit together, but it wasn't, I sense it wasn't really what she wanted. And in a sense, it was not what I wa it was what I wanted, but not with her. Mm. Yeah, by that stage. So it's like a staging. It's like staging. But up to that point, I had not been out having sort of anonymous sex with guys, mm. um, and I hadn't been desperately watching porn, gay porn, desperate for cock either. It hadn't mm. been felt that compelling for me. Um, but what was it like for you guys? Were any of you guys out experimenting, having sex with guys whilst you were um, married? No. Alex, no. No, no I, I felt you know, it was important to be faithful. Um, and yet some people would say just looking at pornography is unfaithful. Some people would say that, yeah, wouldn't they? and that's okay. I, I hear what they're saying. Um, and for me, I never noticed the fact that the porn that I was looking at might have included guys. Were you sorry? So were you so, mainly looking at straight porn? Were you? Well, I don't think porn is straight or gay, really. Yeah. I mean, gay porn is clearly gay porn, but yes, I think we know. If, if you're looking at a couple having sex, yeah. there's one of each in there usually. Mm. So you don't always know what you're looking at or what you're thinking. What's is, the thing that's turning? Am I thinking I'd like to be doing that, or I'd like to have that done to me, or I'd like to be that one or that one, or everything or, all at once? Well, well, that's a really gorgeous body <laughs> I'm looking yeah. at, or. I'm just actually thinking about sex. And so it's complex. But over time, I, I sort of probably allowed more and more non-straight porn into that diet. Whatever that means. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that's what I'm saying. It's a bit of a ridiculous It's a famous, say. because now you meet loads of... I've got lots uh, of gay friends who like watching straight porn. And I've got lots of gay... Mm. I've got straight women who like watching gay porn. So as you say, it's... And there's so many know, straight women writing gay porn porn fiction mm. Mm. and, and it's so yeah. bizarre and yeah. Yeah. to me it's bizarre but also it's so liberating mm. because it's like well, I don't you know no one seems to care anymore sure. you, you, the, you love somebody you love them and that might include sex or might not and you might actually have sex with someone else but you might not love them and and these are things that are becoming unentangled yeah. but it's in flux at the moment so I don't think I want to be true to definite about what I think, yeah. trying to explain what, where I thought at the time We can only, was, yeah, we can only think about how you, because yeah. we're all thinking retrospectively, how was I thinking at yes. that time? And I certainly wasn't thinking about having sex with men, but I certainly did get turned on by looking at men. Okay, deep. 
so again, I was monogamous during the relationship, um, so there wasn't any uh, men that I'd had any sex with, but it was once we'd separated um, that I then, uh, the internet had become... Yeah, we're coming back to this, aren't we? Had had become a a great escape route, really, um, for me to go and just probably a safe place to try and explore Mm. myself. And for me, I think it was extremely liberating because, um, you know, it it was a way of me being able to have a a confidence of being um, anonymous, but being able to try and uh, talk to people and work through my emotions and try and understand the situation that I'm in and the more and more I got involved in trying to understand who I am the more and more I realized that that relationship that I was in um, although it was good when it was it was good um, I couldn't go back to it anymore because I I, knew, I now knew differently about who I am um, so for me that was the the critical part turning point yeah. yeah David you said you joined the marriage you were having sex with guys yeah but intermittently yeah. not regular it was uh, I don't know Two or three times a year, maybe. So right. it wasn't something regular, but it it was a it. I was satisfying an urge. Yeah, that's why I say it was purely sex. And were you going out cruising or f- f- something on the internet? Uh, tried not not internet. Um, cruising, um, saunas. Yes, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, sort of safe places. Yes, places that were you know I, I felt safe in. Yes. Um, um, and so, were you restricting yourself to the sort of things that you would do? Wait, I mean, it's a general question. Yeah. People have been quite, yeah, you yeah, quite, yeah. I would only. It would really. It was. Um, there was no anal sex or yes. anything like yeah. that. It was what I would consider what I would have considered at the time as safe sex. Yes. Yes. Um, yes. So. Absolutely. And Arnett, how about you? Yeah. My my first relationship completely monogamous. Um, never entered my head at all. It was after that relationship that I had my first gay experience a friend took me to a club and I, I suddenly discovered a dark room which I was completely naive about I just walked into this space I had no idea what was going on uh, and and the curious thing is I, I couldn't even talk to my friend who'd taken me to this gay oh, club about it that's you. I, that's yeah, so I felt sweet. so guilty and like uh, yeah, when he'd said to me, "Oh, you know, where where have you been?" You know, because yeah, I disappeared from the dance floor. I just said I'd just been up to the bar. I, I just couldn't, yeah, couldn't guilt. talk about it. So that guilt was there. Uh, and then during my second relationship, um, intermittently, it's like you were saying, uh, I I just would hook up somewhere in a place where I could be completely anonymous mm. um, never anything more than masturbation mm. oral sex mm. um, would never tell anybody my name I didn't want to know anybody's name mm. so it was just purely uh, almost a tension re- release for You're me scratching an itch as well yeah yeah, yeah. and and it would be you know I, I noticed a pattern of when sometimes I would be feeling depressed, that I would then that would trigger me to go yes. and seek that. Yes, uh, I really noticed that that in myself. Um, Guilt seems to be a common theme, isn't it? It's interesting, regardless of whether it's you know wanking yeah. off, wanking yeah. off, or going to a mm. sauna. Mm. I mean, I was feeling you know 
certainly towards the end of uh, uh, my marriage, I, the, the guilt that I felt was so intense around, mm. you know, particularly because my wife loved me and I was doing this thing. How could you? Yeah. Mm. How could you destroy guilt a family? And mm. guilt, guilt and shame. Guilt and shame. Mm. Now, very interesting because shame also links back to internalized homophobia. Mm. You know, guilt can have guilt can can make you act in a positive way if you if you have done something wrong shame can be one of those emotions that just sits in there and occupies and doesn't actually become anything doesn't actually become anything useful except a, another way of hurting yourself yeah. and and also very hurting other people because mm. of the way you act out can mm. i just come back to the internet this is really everybody's mentioned the internet it's kind of it kind of opened a door for you deep it sounds kind of opened doors for all of us mm. so and I think that's absolutely right. I think I personally believe the internet has changed everything, mm. and it's actually changed the the way in which we view ourselves as sexual beings, because it's made things available, and it's made connections possible that hitherto we would not have known. Mm. Say, for example, we had a fetish in you know white mm. speedos. There is a group out there who will welcome you, with you know open arms. No, open arms. You know, it, <laughs> there'll be somewhere out there. That will, 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 will Other groups are exactly, available. and 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 they'll welcome you in a shame-free way. Mm. So, just tell me a little bit about how the internet kind of liberated you into a new world of possibility, a new world of the, your garden of earthly delights. The, the big thing for me was, aside from the fact that you could see things quite easily and you didn't have to go out and buy a porn magazine which I actually I don't think I've ever bought a porn magazine um, so you could see things online the bit for me was that you could chat to people and, and, and actually that was a big turning point in what led up to me finally coming out and leaving okay. my second relationship Brilliant. I, want to, I want to finish on those trigger moments so that's really yeah. good what about for you, Alex? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, we started the conversation about porn, but for me, that was quite an infrequent thing because the guilt from my church background meant that I, I sort of slipped into it, if you know what I mean, and then felt guilty Slip about it. <laughs> <slipped, laughs> <laughs> Who put that there? Yes, exactly. um, but no, I agree with Arna it, totally about the, um, the availability of learning uh, a lifeline to actually, oh, I'm not the only mm, one. Mm, um, mm. Connecting up with old friends who turned out to be gay. I didn't really know, but I sort of felt drawn to them. And then people who were so helpful, even just online, to en enable say, me to... I was going to help. Do we phone a help Yes, I, I phoned Stonewall. Um, and bless them, I don't discount what they do, but they didn't know how to cope with a 50-year-old gay dad coming out for the first time really who felt switchboard we'd have been on your case yeah london and not london yeah. and yeah, stuff yeah. like that and so yeah the internet was a lifeline but also educated me so that i felt like i could clarify what my identity was it's not just you know wanting to have sex with men it's not just being gay yeah. it's being queer it's being yes. politically queer it's being okay with these issues these issues these issues and that's been amazing for me and it is a it it's is rounded a, out it is a life. safe space in yes. which you can do that yes and it, you can see things that you go i like that i don't like that i don't know if i like that yes. park it yes. and that's very good for someone like myself who is very nervous of but, of of actually but to be honest exploring we all, yes we all are yeah. aren't we i remember yeah. being taken off to my first sex club my boy my boyfriend by a friend and i was just terrified yes. i had a great time of course but actually the, sitting in the car very silent do we really want to do this you know and so mm. i think that it really did create a safe space 
as you say. What about you, Dee? Did it create safe space for you? Yeah, so from my perspective, for the first time, I actually managed to meet people who were gay and Indian or Asian. Yeah. So I wasn't the only one. So it was a... <laughs> <laughs> oh, so so there are other people like me. So for me, it, it sort of really switched some um, sort of switches in my head to think actually I've been deluding myself all the time by thinking, oh, I'm the only one. This is the a, only gay in the village. Yeah, yeah, the only <laughs> the only one in, from Asia. <laughs> Subcontinent of okay, Asia. There are many people. There are, so there are lots of very <laughs> there are lots of very gorgeous Indian gay yeah. guys. I can tell you. Um, so, I think from from that perspective, for me, it was a case of um, realization that actually I'm okay to be who I am. Mm. Um, I'm okay to to be the way I am. It's not an issue. And for me, that was the biggest barrier up until that point because all the gay people I had known of were generally white people, but they yeah. live in a generally white country. So that, that's, that's probably why. That's a really good point. How about you, David? The internet. What was that? What what options, opportunities? Or, it was or it was marvelous, and yet also it was my downfall. It was it, it was what caused the breakup okay. of my marriage, um, because I had downloaded some pictures, nothing particularly, you know, pornographic even, just pictures of naked men. I'd also gone onto a chat group, and uh, written something on on the chat line, which somehow I'd saved or got put somewhere, but I'd not hidden it away enough and consequently my wife found it okay. and I do wonder subsequently whether I did leave those clues there to be well, found well that is absolutely one interpretation so that's if I did it was subconscious yes. I had no uh, I of didn't course. do it on purpose or, and I didn't think that this was a way out or anything like that but I do wonder since I do feel that guilt contains a desire. My wife would say to me, stop telling me about the things you do because you're using me as your confessor. You're confessing to me. And I, when I sat and thought about that, I thought, my God, she's so right. I need her to forgive me mm -hmm. for the terrible, for, for what mm -hmm. I consider to be some mm -hmm. terrible things that I've done to hurt our relationship. Mm -hmm. Really interesting. You brilliantly segued into my last thing for this podcast, which is about the trigger. Was there a trigger, Alex, mm -hmm. which finally about a confrontation with your wife um yes and but don't was, tell us i want you to know yeah, what the trigger is yes. because then the next podcast is going to be about yeah. the consequences yeah, so, so just tease us the trigger was eventually the marriage you know just was not a good relationship and for some reason i started looking at um dating sites now this is dating sites not mm -hmm. hookup sites um for you know older people and i was looking at all these pictures and realizing that I was looking at the wrong gender. <laughs> and it coincided at a time when another person in my family um, had, had got a boyfriend and my ex was incredibly angry and upset and thought this was wrong and uh, confronted me and said, well, don't you think it's wrong? And I said, well, I'm not sure it is, it's up to them. And, and there was a lot of anger and um, dispute about that and then sort of like, theological disputes. I said, well, I'll go away and think about it and study it. So I did, and I, I realised that actually even in the tenets of the faith I had at the time, probably was, you know, not even 50-50. It was probably okay to be gay and to be a Christian. Mm. And I thought, oh, shit. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I've gone this long, yeah. and I probably could have been okay being both. Um, wow. And that was, the, that was the trigger. So the trigger was somebody else who had a boyfriend who we yeah, knew yeah. 
and it's always some tiny event, yeah. isn't it? And, it's and I didn't happens. know anyone gay. It really didn't. One person, you know, okay. in my whole life that I knew was gay who okay. I'd spoken to. And so looking at thinking about a new relationship, you then think about what sort of person do you want to have a relationship with? And I realised I was just, you know, owning that I was looking at the wrong one. And it was an oh shit moment, and it was quite traumatic. Yeah, I can know. It was. Um, yeah, Fantastic. Hold that yeah. thought. Keep how it can. Arnett, how about for you? Yeah, there were. It was a combination of things coming together at the <clears throat> moment to create the perfect storm. I'd been doing a master's, which involved me analysing some autobiographical writing about conflict, and I'd been looking at my childhood, looking at it in a different way distancing myself from that experience and so I could see the conflict that existed about my own shame around the abuse and how that was making me react in certain ways to my attraction towards men at the same time Thank you, God, for the internet. <laughs> I'd been chatting to this guy for some time on the internet, and we'd never had sex. So it was not about sex, but I could really feel that I was falling in love with this guy. Um, and so it wasn't sexual. It was just a deep feeling that I had inside of me, which became really, really powerful. And one day... My, my partner came to me, started talking to me about summer holidays, and I just said, I can't do this anymore. And she said, what? She thought, she thought I was talking about the essay that I was trying to write. And I said, no, I can't, I can't do this relationship anymore. I'm gay. I really think I'm gay. I need to leave. And so there was no planning in that. It just suddenly, bleh, out it came. And I thought, shit, what have I just said? <laughs> Another oh shit moment. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Deep. How about for you? Um, so for me, um, after after we'd had our second daughter, um, we'd had a year of where she seemed to be pushing me away and I couldn't really get close to her. And I remember when my daughter was about one year old and I said, sort of said to her, you know, you are pushing me away so far that I'm really fearful that I won't be able to come back again. Um, and I think we should do something to try and get our marriage back on track again. Uh, she um, carried on and said, no, it's fine, I'm, I'm fine. And in my view, I think she probably had some form of postnatal depression, which was impacting on our relationship. Um, so when my uh, youngest daughter was two, um, at that point, I then had to say to her that I no longer love you anymore um, and that I can't carry on with this. Uh, that for her then triggered something because she then was prepared to go for marriage counselling and all these things which I suggested a year earlier. Uh, but at, by that point, because I knew who I was, I felt that I wanted to be true to myself. Uh, but more importantly, I wanted to be true to my children about who I am. Um, and I was absolutely conflicted in that year because I felt as though I was breaking up the children's family. Uh, but equally, I wanted to be true to my children about who I who I am and to be able to authentically live my life in the way I choose to do so. So I think that probably that was my trigger. Oh, gosh, that so connects with me in so many levels. It's very mm -hmm. powerful. I mean, my my wife was amazing. We did a whole year of tantric training. We did some crazy batshit rituals around BDSM and all sorts of crazy stuff, which was brilliant, you know. And um, she was so 
prepared to go with me because I was talking about, and we talked about this thing called a closed loop. I'll talk a bit more about that in the next podcast. But listening to all you guys talk about what triggered, there's two things I think that really triggered it. And it's really weird, the things that do trigger. Um, I'm a script writer. I write for, a, write for a big television series. I wrote for The Bill. And there was a fantastic writer on The Bill called Jaden Clark, lesbian writer, fantastic. And we once went out to dinner and she said to me, she said, you know what, Nicholas, when I read your scripts, I don't see anything of you in them. And I just turned around and I thought, I want to be a creative person and a writer, and yet I do not, I don't have the courage to put anything of myself in a script. And I know that the show like The Bill is very generic, but there's still ways that you can express through characterization. And that really pierced my heart like an arrow. That was one thing. And then the second, second thing is I went to this mad festival called Burning Man, which will change lives. And the first year I went, I thought, I'm going to be really adventurous and try stuff out. And I talked to my wife, and I'd agreed, I'd negotiated with her that I would do this. Of course, I turned up at the festival, and I spent well, the entire week cowering in my camp, <laughs> whilst everybody else was going out and being ethical sluts. And there's me sitting there going, well, I do want to do this, but I can't. <laughs> and Burning Man is the one place where you can explore all of this shit. Um, and at the end of the week, um, I did a, some things. I had an amazing time. I was with my very dear friends, very, very close friends. It was wonderful in many respects, but it absolutely challenged me. They say the plier will not give you what you want. It'll give you what you need. And that was obviously what I wanted to do, what I needed. And in the car coming back, the wife of my best friend just turned around to me and said, so, Nicholas, are you gay? And I couldn't lie anymore. I just had to say yes. And yes, I just had to say yes. And that, I think, those two things, more than anything else, kind of were the accelerator for everything else that happened afterwards. Um, I want to thank David, Alex, Arnett and Deep for being so wonderfully honest and open with their recollections and with their stories. This is the end of the second podcast, and we're going to come back with a third podcast called Day Zero, which is actually about coming out and what happened afterwards. Thank you so much for listening. Take care. If you've been affected by any of the issues raised in this podcast and wish to speak to someone, please ring Switchboard, the LGBT plus helpline on 0300 Calm words when you need them most.